a tenant farmer worked hard for many years to improve the production uh, of the land he was renting. And then something happened that caused him to become bitter. When it was time to renew his lease, the owner told him he was going to sell the farm to his son that was getting married. And the tenant made several generous offers to buy the land himself, hoping the man's decision would be reversed, but it was all in vain. The deal was done. And as the day drew near for the farmer to vacate his home, his weeks of angry brooding finally got the best of him. And so he gathered seeds from some of the most pesky and harmful weeds that were hard to get rid of. And he spent many hours scattering them on the otherwise clean and fertile soil of the, the land. To his dismay, the very next morning, the owner informed him that plans for his son's wedding had fallen through. And therefore, he would be happy to renew the tenant's lease. And so he couldn't understand the farmer's response when he said, oh Lord, what a fool I have been. Whatever we sow, we will eventually reap. Have you heard that statement before? You reap what you sow. It's a basic universal principle that Paul himself writes about. It's also a popular turn of phrase that often gets misapplied. And so in today's passage, Paul has a certain type of sowing in mind with a very specific idea of what it is to reap. And he also explains why this principle should move us to live the life that God has called us to. So open up your Bibles to Galatians 6, verse 6. If you have a blue Bible, it's on page 567. Uh, encourage you to grab one of those. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, uh, that's our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. Otherwise, you can grab it and borrow it. We just encourage you to follow along uh, because we preach through God's Word here. We're Central Bible Church, and so we want to open up God's Word and kind of work through it every week. And we've been in Galatians for, for quite some time, most of this semester. And, and Paul through Galatians has really been arguing against the power of the law. The law is powerless to save us. It, it cannot empower us to do good. That's the first half of Galatians. Paul is just arguing against the law, against the law. These works of righteousness, circumcision, doing these things, jumping through these hopes will not save you. Only faith will. That is credited to you as righteousness. And so for the last couple of chapters, he has been encouraging us to live by the Spirit. Just because the law doesn't save us, just because our works don't save us, doesn't mean we're just free to do whatever we want. We're not to indulge the flesh, we're to live by the Spirit. And last week we talked about how if we live by the Spirit, if we yield to the Spirit, then that Spirit will lead us into community. There's no such thing as a, a Lone Ranger Christian uh, there's no such thing as, you know, it's about my own personal relationship with Jesus. It's about more than that. When it comes to following Christ, we are led into community because that's where the spirit leads us. And in that community, we're told to, to encourage one another towards faithfulness. That means correcting one another when we see the other kind of diving headfirst into sin. It also means carrying one another's burdens, 
financially, emotionally, spiritually, coming alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ and taking up the yoke that they're carrying with them so they are not carrying burdens alone. And so that's kind of the context that we get today. This passage, it really continues our community responsibilities as God's people. And so we get to, in Galatians 6, 6, my favorite verse in all of Scripture. You guys ready? Galatians 6, 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Amen? Let's pray. And, and no, that's, uh, what a weird passage for a pastor to uh, be called to preach, but God knew that this was going to be in his word and, and that pastors would have to preach it one day. I'm going to admit it's somewhat hard to preach that verse without sounding like a televangelist who's money hungry, you know, just sow that seed and, you know, write the, you can write in the memo cash and make it out to Larry and, uh, you know, help me get that new motorcycle I've been really wanting. And, uh, and so it's, it's hard not to sound like that, but I'm going to do my best to just preach this passage and, and why does Paul put it in here? So just let me read it one more time. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things. So if you are taught the word, share all good things with the one who teaches the word. And so what we're seeing here is these community commands by Paul to take care of your community, to love others in community as very practical uh, outpourings for us. So the term share here is usually connected with generous giving. And so financial support is primarily in view here. You're to financially support, if you hear God's word, you are financially to support those who preach it. And it says, share all good things. In other places, this is really just referring to that which is needed to live. And so the idea isn't, hey, you need to, as a congregation, fund the extravagant lifestyle of your pastor. I mean, he needs to be wearing $400 shoes, uh, Gucci belts. Uh, No, it's just saying you need to free him up, free that person up, that preacher, that teacher up to study God's word. Their primary responsibility in life is to study and preach God's word. We see similar commands in 1 Timothy 5, 1 Corinthians 9, the, the New Testament focuses on the public preaching of God's word. That's why gathering like this is important. The New Testament tells us to publicly preach and and hear God's word in this public setting. And I'm going to be honest, putting together a sermon, it takes diligence. You need to study, pray. It takes time. It takes hard work. I, I spend anywhere between 15 to 25 hours a week prepping a sermon. And if I'm really struggling that, there's not an hour that goes by that week where I'm not thinking about that sermon, processing that sermon. I don't download my sermon. We don't download our sermons off the internet. We're not like, oh, we're preaching on on this. Let's just take this from this guy that I really like and, and redoing it. And, you know, maybe adding my name in there instead of his. And, and talking about my children instead of his. We, there, there's no, nobody's going to show up on this screen from 500 miles away and, and preach to you so that I don't have to do anything, so that we don't have to do anything. We take preaching God's word seriously here. 
I didn't throw this together last night. It may seem like that some weeks, but, but I don't throw, we don't throw our sermons together the, the night before. I pray that if, if I'm ever not up here and I'm in a congregation, that I am allowing my, my preacher to, to spend time to commit themselves and devote themselves to studying God's word, to knowing God's word, and to preaching God's word. And that happens when I free them up financially to do that. And so, do I like preaching this? No, it's not super fun uh, to be like, we need money. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, but I, I pray God provides, but he often provides through people. Uh, to do this. And so that's the idea. Support your teachers. Support your preachers, those who commit themselves to God's word, because guess what? You reap what you sow. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Take what I'm about to say seriously, because God has deemed it true. Don't be deceived. Don't scoff at this. That is what Paul is saying. You reap what you sow. Whatever you sow, that you will in turn reap. There are causes in life and there are consequences in life. In a society dominated by agriculture, uh, Paul's early listeners would have completely understood this illustration. Of course, you know, you plant apple seeds, what do you get? You don't get pineapples, you get apples. You reap what you sow. You plant roses, you get roses. In Colorado, if you plant new grass seed and you water that grass seed and you take care of it, you reap disappointment because you live in a desert. Uh, grass isn't supposed to grow here. And so uh, this idea of reaping and sowing, two things come to mind. When I hear you reap what you sow, one thing that comes to mind are those instant karma articles that you see on the internet. Have you ever seen like those instant car hashtag instant karma? Like these are kind of some of those that, that you see somebody writes in, they tweet in, uh, and, and then they talk about, you know, some, some version of you reap and then uh, you sow and then immediately you, you're, you're reaping whatever you sow. And, and it's like this, you know, the man who just drove into the parking space I was waiting for and told me to blank off has arrived for his interview with me. Hashtag, you reap what you sow. Uh, instant karma. Dog travels more than 100 kilometers to bite his owner after being abandoned. You know, hashtag instant karma. Uh, guy accidentally shoots himself in the face after bullet ricochets off an armadillo. Uh, instant karma. So, so you think about these, you know, you do something stupid and then the universe just smacks you right back in the face after you do that stupid thing. That's the first thing I think about when I think about your input. You know, the second thing is just prosperity gospel preachers. You know, hey, put your hand on the TV and then dial that number and just sow a seed of faith, you know, a little bit of money. You know, give to this ministry and, and, and miraculously, your house will increase in square footage. You know, that, that dream car you want, if you reap money, if you just put that check in the envelope and send it our way, that seed is planted. And guess what? You're going to reap that car, that car you always wanted, that car you'll always have, have dreamt of. That, that's, I think, what most of us think about when we hear something like this. Is this passage being misused or misapplied in our culture today? 
And so Paul clarifies what it means to reap. And first he talks about what it means to sow. Look at verse eight. What is he talking about here? You reap what you sow. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit, will from the spirit reap eternal life. This is what it means to sow. We've talked about this, this rivalry between the spirit and the flesh. We see that again picked back up here. The flesh is our old self with its corrupt desires and longings. It's the selfish, prideful, rebellious part of us that has, has been defeated through the work of Christ but is not yet fully comprehensively dead. It can still sneak up on us. It can still rear its ugly head. To sow to the flesh is just to live in that arena. It's just to give in to the flesh. Man, I just really want to do that which is against God, which dishonors God, which doesn't glorify God. I I want to do it. My flesh is pulling me in that direction, so I'm just going to do it. That's what it looks like to sow to the flesh. To sow to the spirit is to walk by the spirit. We've been talking about this a lot over the past few weeks. It's to yield to the spirit. We talked about how yielding to the spirit is just admitting our helplessness to do good without God's intervention in our life. God, I need you. I need you to well up goodness in me, well up the fruit of the spirit in me. It's it's acknowledging the spirit's presence throughout our day. Sometimes we treat uh, the spirit like like an annoying child. You just don't want to talk to them. Uh, Just leave me alone. I'm going to do my own thing. Please stop bugging me. Uh, I want to I live my life the way I want. It's acknowledging the Spirit's presence throughout the day. Okay, I want to listen to you. You desire for me to do this. And then it's acting in faith. And it's acting in faith to do that which the Spirit calls us to. And so that would, that's what it means to, to sow to the Spirit. It's to yield to the Spirit. We don't sow goodness solo. Sowing isn't an act of personal determination. It comes when we allow the Spirit to empower us and direct us. So we either sow to the flesh or we sow to the Spirit. And we can sow in a number of different ways, but I believe Paul has an eye on our fiscal responsibility to take care of one another when he speaks through sowing here. Last week he talked about carrying one another's burdens That would for sure mean providing for one another when the other is in need. A second ago, we talked about caring for and supporting those who teach God's word monetarily. Providing for them so that they can devote themselves to preaching and teaching God's word. Here in a second, we're going to be told to do good to to all. Most importantly, to those who belong to the household of God. And so I think sowing here is in the realm of financial responsibility. So to sow to the flesh here in this specific context is using what God has given us, using our resources, our material possessions for just selfish gains. Mine, I'm going to hoard it. I'm going to build up the nest egg so I can get to a place in life where I don't have to trust anybody else, including God. That is sowing to the flesh and context here. Sowing to the Spirit then would be being led by the Spirit to be generous. I'm going to use 
what God has given me to bless, take care of, support, and help others. And most importantly, the other sitting next to you in this room. It's to sow generosity. Again, sowing can mean a number of different things, but I believe the specific context here is sowing generosity. It's sowing to the spirit that leads us to be generous, which makes total sense. What is a fruit of the spirit? Generosity is a fruit of the spirit. So it naturally flows here where Paul's saying, man, yield to the spirit, sow to the spirit so that you can be generous, so that you can be generous. Sow to the spirit because sowing to the flesh reaps corruption. And so we're told that this is what it means to sow. Well, here's what it means to reap. Corruption here is more than just the pain and division sin causes in this life. When you sin, in, in one sense, you do reap. Because sin causes a lot of problems. You know, sin divides, sin destroys, uh, sin causes division. And I think that's somewhat in view here, but, but Paul, I think, is primarily talking about reaping final judgment. We reap condemnation. Those who, who sow in the flesh, who live in that arena consistently, constantly, who never yield to the spirit, they will not enjoy eternal life in the coming age. The person who sows the spirit, they will reap eternal life. So when Paul talks about sowing and reaping here, he's, he's not talking about instant karma. He's not talking about You do this bad thing and then immediately something bad happens. He's talking about what we sow in this life from beginning to end. What we sow in in this life, what we do in this life will determine and affect what we reap in the next. And so that's the kind of sowing and and reaping Paul is talking about here. You're going to either reap eternal life or you're going to reap eternal death. That is eternal separation from God. That is corruption, condemnation. In 1995, a lady named Jane Percy, she became the Duchess of North Cumberland. And I don't know what that means or where that's at, uh, but wanting to create something very attractional on, uh, in the land that she moved into. She moved into this castle. Her husband like, wanted to give her something to do. And he's like, hey, you can redo this garden. And she wanted to make this garden very attractional. And so she sowed, she planted a hundred of the most dangerous plants that, that you could find. These are a hundred plants that could literally kill you. Uh, that could, you come in contact with them, they will kill you. And people, you know, Thousands of people each year come to see this death garden um, that's been sowed. And people have like passed out uh, because they breathe the the noxious fumes and stuff like that. And and there's rules. You know, you're not to obviously you don't eat the vegetation in the deadly garden, but you're also told not to smell it or or touch any of the plants, which makes it a real great place to bring your three year old if you're looking for a vacation spot. Uh, But you get the idea. You can either reap 
You can sow that which reaps life, or you can sow that which reaps death. Now, if you're theologically astute, which I believe everybody in this room is, it's got smart people, there's a potential you're going to say, man, this sounds a lot like works righteousness. The very thing that Paul began his letter combating. It sounds like you need to do certain things to get into heaven. You sow this and you sow this and you sow this and then you earn eternal life. I do not believe that's what Paul is saying here. In fact, that is not what Paul is saying here. Paul has made it abundantly clear. I want you to follow me here. Righteousness is not based on works. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. But, there's a big but here. He has also made clear that those with true faith will be indwelt with the Spirit and through the Spirit's guiding and empowering and through our yielding, that person will practice good works. Generosity included throughout their life. From the beginning of their new birth till the end. They won't be perfect people, but God will see their work as evidence which proves their faith to be true. And so we see this throughout scripture. We're going to be judged by our works. It's not that our works save us, but they point to the root of our fruit. We talked about that last week. It'll determine whether our faith is true or not. And, and those people will inherit eternal life. Martin Luther, if you're like, man, this isn't, I don't know. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, he said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. It'll well up in generosity and love and mercy and grace. Again, we're not going to be perfect. But you'll see fruit in one's life. I'm lucky that I don't have to be the judge of another person's fruit to determine whether or not they they know God or not. But, But God sees that. Those who perpetually live in the flesh, those who reject the Holy Spirit's work, their works, their sowing, show the Spirit was never really present. They will reap destruction. And so as much as we want to soften this passage, there's, there's a bit of a, a warning here. It's a warning if, if we reap what we sow, then we need to, to sow. Look at verse 9 and 10, which makes sense in this context. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't grow weary in doing good. If, if for sowing, generosity leads to life if we keep on sowing. If we keep on sowing. So guess what? Paul's like, keep sowing. Don't, don't, don't let your heart grow faint with exhaustion. Don't give up like, like some do. Let sowing mark your life 
from beginning to end. Don't be the kid that comes home with a plant given to them by their teacher who waters it for three days, doesn't see any fruit from that plant, and so thus stops watering that plant and lets it die. I mean, how many plants have, have your kids been, resp- how many plants need to die before we realize that, that kids shouldn't be doing that? And that, that's somewhat of the idea here. Your, your seed may be slow. The, the reaping is coming. You may not see it today, tomorrow, the next day, but continue to sow. Continue to sow. For you're going to reap one day all that is good. Continue to persevere. It says, as you have opportunity, do good to all. You are not the savior of the world. You cannot help everybody. There's just a truth to that. But it says, as you have the opportunity, as God puts in front of you opportunities to sow seed and here to be generous, you take those opportunities. And you do it with everybody, those who you work with, those who you live with, those who are on your street, um, those who you see every day. And most importantly, he says, we're to sow within the household of God. We're to do good to one another, which, which in this context, again, means we're to support one another. We're to monetarily care for one another. We're to provide for one another. Whether it be through d- direct, man, I just wanted to send you this, or through giving to the church, our expenses, we don't spend the money on a lot of different things. There's a reason you don't see giant billboards with Central Bible Church across the top. We want to keep our costs low so that we can invest in people. It's one of the reasons why I have no problem encouraging people to give to our church. Because I think we're using our money wisely. And guys, I have seen this, this, this spirit-led generosity within the household of God play out so many times. And from my vantage point, I'm blessed to see it work. I've seen bills paid. I've seen cars gifted. I've seen entire houses furnished. One day, bed bugs destroyed everything in their house. They had it clean. And then the church, uh, whether it was through hand-me-downs or bought new things, they just furnished an entire house. I've seen the mortgage paid for. I've seen clothes bought and gifted for children. I've seen food given, meals prepped, rooms made available. I've seen this spirit-led generosity being sown in the church, and it's a blessing. I've seen people be sacrificial, which is just just a warning. If you're going to sow generosity, it may cost you something. If you're going to decide to be a generous person, it may cost you less money for yourself. So that me fund, that may shrink a little bit. You may not get the house of your dreams which I'll be honest, guys, it's, it's never all it's cracked up to be. You may not get the car of your dreams. Again, it's not all it's cracked up to be. But what you receive, what you reap, is worth the cost of being sacrificial. Yes, we reap things like joy. I mean, I, when, I, when I give to somebody, um, there, there's just a joy uh, of seeing needs met. 
I love giving good gifts because I like seeing people's faces. When oh, thank you, man. Thank you so much. We, we needed this. That's great. I get blessed to see God work through that and, and hearts softened and changed. Uh, there, there are people who, who end up becoming a part of Creekside or Central because they've seen the goodness of God uh, come through monetarily through other people. But most importantly, when we sow generosity, we reap all that is important. We reap that which will last, and that is eternal life. Life with God forever. There's a deeper harvest coming. Well, you will reap the full scope of life with God. Over the past few weeks, Paul has encouraged us to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, which leads us to community. And there the Spirit will move us to gently restore one another, to humbly bear one another's burdens. As we saw here today, to provide for those who teach God's word. And as the opportunity arises to provide for anyone else, particularly those within the household of God. David Platt mentions how Jesus is really the embodiment of the Spirit-filled life here. So if you want to live out the Spirit-filled life, a lot of it is living like Christ. Jesus restored us from a broken relationship with God. Jesus carried our greatest burden, the crushing weight of sin. Jesus was and is the ultimate giver. He made himself poor so that he could sacrificially give his life for our sake. Jesus constantly demonstrated what it looked like to sow in the spirit, to sow goodness and compassion and generosity and faithfulness. Let us follow him. Amen? Let's pray.